if you're plus, pressing the plus 30 button, you're f- just missing so much good content at the beginning of these podcasts. I have this one minute chunk that I deal with every time I record a podcast. And I think I'm going to need that one minute of shameless self-promotion at some point. And then every time I record to fill the minute, I have no idea what to say. So, hopefully you've made it this far. I don't know. We're more than half. Probably like 33, 34 seconds, 35, 36. But if you do want to do something to help the pod, if you're just dying to, follow me on Twitter at Billy underscore Draper. I famously started tweeting again. And tell your friends about the pod. Rate and review the pod. I know everyone tells you to do that, but actually do it for me. It wasn't just glimpsing a wallet as someone was paying for a coffee. It was all of a sudden someone evangelizing the ideas behind it and the way you could carry better and the way you could share tips with friends and improve the way they carried. And I think that was when it really resonated. And that was when, um, yeah, we, we felt like we were onto something special. Welcome everybody to the Making the Brand podcast. My name is Billy Draper. I work in early stage venture capital. And on this show, we're gonna be talking about brands. We'll talk to founders and leaders of growing consumer companies that are finding ways to stand out, differentiate, and delight their customers. On today's show, we have Andy Falshaw, co-founder and CEO of Bellroy. Andy teaches us about bootstrapping a business for years before raising capital. So today on the show, we have a very special guest. We have Andy Falshaw, uh, the founder and CEO of Bellroy. Um, Andy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it's great to be on it. So to start off, I always like to ask founders, what what do you do? What is Bellroy? Uh, um, and unfortunately, I don't have the prepackaged answer to that. Uh, it, it changes every time. I depending on who I'm talking to. But for us, Bellroy make carry goods. So they're things to help you move about the world, carry your goods wherever you are. Um, We started in Slim Wallets, pioneering that space. But these days, that's extended into bags, work accessories, phone cases, all sorts of things that help you move through the world with less friction, better focus. Um, We're also a for-purpose business. So we're a certified b corp and we do a lot of things that we hope are helping shape a slightly better world how how did you end up in the carry business yeah uh for me i've always moved around the world so i grew up ski racing and mountain biking climbing surfing and so it's always been Um, across country borders, across state borders, um, trying to find better ways to navigate through airline baggage allowances and and move about the world. So I've always had an interest in carrying better. Um, For me then, my journey, I was a designer and an engineer, and um, part of that journey ended up taking me to a surf brand, Rick Curl, and as I was in that brand, I was managing their equipment division, which included all of their bags, accessories, wallets, other areas. And by being in that business, I could see why um, 
why brands weren't delivering the product that would really delight customers, would really resonate well. Um, we made rapid ground in that brand, but a lot of our audience was younger people who hadn't yet discovered all the issues with moving across borders and through the world. And so it was harder to build the sort of product that would really rock our boat as well as rock a 17-year-old's boat. And so um, as I was wanting to, I guess, move on to other areas that um, would would allow us to collect a group of customers that had maybe already had more travel experiences, more work experiences, and might be able to recognize a different style of product. And I'm pretty lucky. I grew up in a really interesting family. Um, my brother and his partner, Alina, are both engineers as well. And we'd worked together in a family business that was um, making wheels and casters. So the sorts of wheels that go under hospital beds and high-end furniture and equipment. And we we knew we wanted to work together in some businesses. We knew we really loved working together. And when I looked at that carry space and how neglected um, parts of it were, it, it felt like a natural, a natural part to sort of push on and see if we could develop some really different styles of product in, in a business that was for purpose from day one. And so Rip Curl, if I remember, was a surf brand. They did a lot of t-shirts and board shorts and sort of Velcro wallets. Is that right? Yeah, yeah absolutely, as part of it. So, um, But then uh, very well known for wetsuits and watches, um, which were the areas that always pioneered technology in. They were pioneers in the tide watch space, pioneers in the ultra flex wetsuits. Um, some incredible, um, I guess, innovation in those areas. And they'd always, they'd, oh, not always, from the 70s on, they'd had a bags program and a wallets program soon after. But it was, when I came into it, I, it, it was more focused on school bags and the real price-pointed stuff. And so uh, as we sort of started to wrestle that equipment division, we started to see all sorts of ways we could make their bags and wallets start to move up to do justice to their wetsuits and watches. Um, I ended up also overseeing the board short program and the equipment program, so I got to play in lots of the other surf spaces as well for Rick Curl. Yeah, I've clearly exposed myself as a non-surfer. If if I, I got their sort of second tier product line, if they're known for the wetsuits, <laughs> I did not know that. Um, so so what what specifically brought you uh, to the precipice of sort of starting your own business? Did you start Bellroy while you were still working at Rip Curl, or did you uh, take a little bit of time off and come to these realizations, or did you uh, you know start the day after you left your job at Rip Curl? Uh, great question. So I guess that, that family I grew up in was, um, a very active family. It was always talking about the problems in the world and the things we might do to change. Um, because our family had the wheel and caster business, we were always talking business. We worked in the business from very young age on assembly lines and doing very menial jobs and then sort of progressively working our way through. And so I think 
to be honest, we were probably in a family that just had those values of if you want to see change in the world, make it, do it. Um, for all of us, though, we also wanted to build careers outside of a family business. And so each of us went off and did other areas. And by the time I'd been in Rick Curl for four years, I, I think I'd just seen how important it is for a brand to shape a vision around the customers that they can most resonate with. And to do that, I knew that meant we had to find customers that were at the level of sophistication and understanding and insight that would really, I don't know, excite us. And so I, I left Rick Curl without any business started. We hadn't done any sort of planning there. But we started a few businesses together, so my brother Matt and Lena as well, and Bellroy was one of those. But we didn't even start with Bellroy. We started with Carryology, which is a massive online community and blog we still run. And that was uh, around that idea that no one had really labelled the carry space, um, bags, travel goods, wallets, pouches, they were all designed together by the same teams. They were often sold together by the same brands, but there wasn't even a name for that category. And we felt like Carrie captured that the best. And so we started a campfire of Carryology that could gather some of our friends around it, could start to share insights and learning. And as we were doing that, we then also started work on Bellroy. And Bellroy was initially going to start as a bag brand when we started conceiving it. But, but as we really dove in and understood the market in more depth, we just saw that the wallet space was the most broken. Um, there were these massive bricks of things that had too much leather in them, too much space. Every card was separated. And so we thought that starting in wallets was an area where we had immediate insight on how to make them better. Um, and that's where we started. We launched five wallets in, so Carryology was in 2009 and then Bellroy launched in 2010. Um, with, with all that groundwork we'd done of really already starting to feel out that space deeply and, and understand the most broken parts of it. And how did you make your first wallets? <laughs> uh, I, I, so... The first wallets were probably things I sewed up on a sewing machine while I was studying at Glasgow School of Art. So it was grabbing sailcloth and um, sort of hacking and tinkering with the whole format of wallets. So that would have been in probably 1999. Um, but then those wallets lived on in friends' pockets, my brother's pocket, my pocket for many, many years. And so that I guess that was the seed of it. But then... When we started to really design the Bellroy-specific wallets, it was trying to engineer them from ground up. So it was a lot of prototypes in sailcloth and paper and all sorts. We had a supplier in India that I'd worked with in Rick Curl, and we really loved them, um, a really beautiful company, a great supplier, really wonderful people. And so we then started scaling up those ideas with them and tinkering and prototyping and developing and we went through so many rounds because when when you're trying to change the whole way a wallet is built 
when almost every wallet maker's only ever made them in the traditional ways. It was a lot of iteration and um, tinkering and mistakes and diversions. And um, we were assuming we could change behavior in people. Um, at that stage, wallets weren't really designed to keep lots of cards together. They were all separated. And we weren't even sure if customers would be willing to put lots of cards together to save space. Um, and so it was a lot of prototyping, iteration, getting those samples into other designers' pockets and getting feedback. It, it was a real sort of year of back and forwards and tinkering before we, before we consolidated onto the first five wallets that we launched. And how did you, how did you fund the business? How did you get started? Uh, did you guys put your own capital in or were, did you raise some sort of family and friends money? Uh, no, so we had small savings ourselves and that was it. So we bootstrapped it all. Um, I think that's probably one of the things I'm most proud of. Uh, Bellroy took oh, just over 700,000 Australian dollars. So that's um, about half a million US dollars to get it to a profitable stage. Um, and that was all self-funded between Matt Lena and myself. Um, and that was enough where, you know, we were just working around my dining room table. We were being frugal on costs and expenses. We, we got some product to market, mostly through a website and a few retail customers. Um, and then we really worked hard on understanding the value on seeing how customers were interacting with it and what they liked. And from about 18 months in perhaps we had found the things that resonated and the channels that worked and that initial half million dollars of um our own money was enough to get it to a spot where it took off um we self-funded through years of hundreds of percent growth um we really built it to be a, a global footprint all off that initial seed um, and then just recently, at the end of last year and the start of this year, we took our first external capital. And that was just as, um, as our growth has started to ramp up again, but at a larger scale and with more categories, we realized that um, that self-funding model had, um, it, it might restrict doing the really good stuff we wanted to do. And so we felt like it was time to take in a small amount of external capital, um, but that first happened late last year. So it was a long journey of complete self-funding. So you went eight years without outside funding. Correct. Yes, that's incredible. And then in year eight, you decided to raise money. Absolutely, and I, we're really proud of that. Um, there was a Clayton Christensen quote very early on of um, "hungry for profit, patient for growth." And that was all about really saying, um, if you're really focused on understanding what customers value, if you're really focused on seeing the things they care about, um, then you can shape product in a business that doesn't have as much waste in it. It's, it's, it really focuses on the things that people will recognize. And um, I'm lucky Matt and Lena come from a supply chain background and an engineering background. And so they're incredible at running lean manufacturing, 
a theory of constraints, a whole number of approaches that, again, eliminate waste from the business. So we've always had very low inventory for the footprint we have. Um, we were growing through channels that were mostly direct to consumer. And so um, we were making enough margin that even when growing at hundreds and hundreds of percent growth, um, we could still fund it off that small initial C. What, how did you come up with the name Bellroy? <laughs> so um, our lives are split between Bells Beach and Fitzroy. So um, Bells Beach is a famous surf location around town of Torquay. Um, it's where I live, my family lives, and it's where our design studio is based. And then Fitzroy is one of the most vibrant suburbs in Melbourne. It's an incredible creative community. It's where Matt and Lena live, and that's where our larger office is. And so it's a mashup of those two words, Bells and Fitzroy. Simple enough. How far, how far apart are those two towns? Uh, depending on traffic, it's, a, it's anywhere from an hour 15 to an hour 40 between our offices. And so on any day of the week, we have staff from each of the offices in the other one. And who decided or, or how did you collectively come up with the owl? <laughs> um, it, 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 <laughs> not at all superstitious, but I do like the idea that um, when you keep your eyes open, something's happening. And we, <laughs> we were walking around the park in Fitzroy um, brainstorming and we, we'd just come up with the idea of the mashup of the name. And um, we sort of stopped to reflect on it. And then all of a sudden there was this sort of thunk sound. And, and we all looked up and a, an owl had just landed on the street sign right there and was sort of looking down at us. And it was, um, you know, we all love the idea of owls. They're on every continent other than Antarctica, but they show up slightly different on every continent. They're, they're wise, they're amazing birds and we were like ah, how about now <laughs> that's not bad it, it stands for a lot of great things it, it also has a history in the craft movement that we were emerging from and um it just felt right yeah it's a great logo it's very memorable and it just feels yeah it feels right so you you picked well i think uh thank you very much we like it and how are how are Bell's Beach and Fitzroy as as sort of startup communities? Are are you one of the few in the area, or are, is there sort of a burgeoning startup scene? Yeah, it's it's a very different startup scene to what you might find in the Bay Area or even Tel Aviv or the other startup communities. So, I think a lot of the businesses and brands have made their footprint with less funding. Um, I think Melbourne now is quite dynamic. There's some some good sort of software services that are built out of there. There's a very strong Ruby on Rails community. There's other areas there. So Melbourne's growing quickly. Um, the Bells Beach area is really different. So it's the seed of many of the great surf brands in the world. So Quicksilver and Rip Curl both started from Torquay when it was just a few thousand people. It's surrounded by an incredible array of surf breaks. There's there's beautiful um, parks around, great spots to explore and really sort of love the outdoors. And so it's a very young um, 
population. There's a lot of beach lovers, dog lovers, families, and the surf industry brought a lot of young creative people to town. Um, and so there's a lot of small brands that have started in Torquay, mostly around the surf area. But now, um, you know, it's also the base for Patagonia in Australia. It's the base for several other um, active outdoor brands in Australia. And so it's a small population around the Torquay Bells area. It's, uh, I think, 16,000 people. So still quite a small country town, but it punches above its weight for those small creative upstarts. But there's certainly no Ubers or Slacks coming out of Torquay, that's for sure. Yeah, that's a, I had no idea that those brands all came out of the same place. So that's a massive sort of surf culture influence. It is. And, and one of the great things about it, because it's a small community, we're all friends. And so we all surf and do holidays with Quicksilver and Rickhill families with lots of the other startups around. Um, Patagonia does a lot of work here to unite the B Corps and the for-purpose businesses. And so there's just a huge amount of sharing. We, we often surf together, holiday together, do those sorts of things that give you time to move beyond the surface level conversations. And so we feel incredibly lucky to have I guess, had so much of their advice and guidance uh, and that is shared in the community so nicely. So back to the early days, was there a, was there a, a moment where you felt like uh, everything kind of clicked or did you find success pretty quickly with family and friends and selling uh, the wallets through some local retailers and you just found, hey, the margins are big enough and sort of the, the customers are liking these products enough that this business is just uh, a rocket ship or was there a specific or, or was it was it sort of pushing the uh pushing the ball up the hill and then at the end uh, or the stone up the hill rather and then things started to accelerate from there yeah the the first 18 months were really difficult um we sort of done our first production runs and there were things not quite right with them. And so there were days of um, myself and Hadrian, one of the other co-founders who came out of Ripco with me, um, just in the warehouse reworking stock and doing all sorts to try and get it right. And when we launched, we thought we would mostly be a wholesale business because that was how most of the brands up till then had started. But one of the other businesses that my brother Lena and myself ran was um, a software developing company that was doing really tricky programming projects for people. And so we had some of the crew from Tricycle Developments, which was the company, um, tinkering and um, messing with the online act. So we launched with a website from day one. We always wanted direct sales through that. But about 18 months in, um, some of our crew from Belroy had been tinkering with some of the um, devs from Trike and we started playing around more and more with um, Google ad platforms and landing pages and ways of giving really good experiences. And some of those ads that we came up with and the ways we were taking them through a landing page experience had started to work. So for that 18 months, pushing on wholesale, it was tricky, I think. 
when you need wholesale, they often don't need you. Um, and it was hard work. But once we started to get that online advertising working, um, we just saw the sales start to click in and, and the, the uptick started and it went from one sale a day to two to four to six to eight. And then it started to just sort of really explode. And that was the stage where um, we, we realised that the business model could start to do justice to the customer experience we were seeing. From those early days, we could see, we were getting sent letters from people saying, gosh, this product's amazing. It's, it's what I've always wanted and no one's made. Um, we could see that from day one, but that first 18 months, it was really hard to find a channel that would do it, do the product justice, I guess. And, and it was once we got that online advertising channel worked out a bit that all of a sudden the brand came together and started to sing. Do you remember the first time you saw one in the wild, saw a wallet or a bag? Uh, I, I think it, it happened in lots of ways. So um, we've got a lot of amazing creative friends who'd already been um, trying the wallets, using them, and then they their friends would see it and they'd recognize it. So early on, the design community, the creative community, architects, they were really recognizing what we were doing and, and embracing it early. And so... I definitely get glimpses of it, but the the really fun ones for us um, were when you, um, for instance, uh, Jimmy, our creative director, was sitting on a tram and a conversation was happening next to him where someone was saying to his friend, oh, my God, I can't believe what that wallet you have. It's horrible. Here, let me show you what you have to do. You actually have to store your cards together like this and do this <laughs> and here's my Belroy and this is what it is. And so we started seeing... I guess the philosophies of slimming your wallet as as the things that was when we were really proud because it wasn't just glimpsing a wallet as someone was paying for a coffee. It was all of a sudden someone evangelizing the ideas behind it and the way you could carry better and the way you could share tips with friends and improve the way they carried. And I think that was when it really resonated and that was when um, – yeah, we we felt like we were onto something special. Yeah, that's really fun. That's got to be. I mean, you've got to be tempted to sort of like chime in. Hey, what what are the features are you looking for in your wallet? <laughs> what are you? What colors do you think that, that brand should get into next? What? Uh, and yo, yeah, go on. Uh, I was just going to say it often ends up the other way. Um, if someone realizes you're from Belroy, all of a sudden they're telling you all the ideas they have and the other things they want. And, um, it's, that's a really special part of it. It's yeah, really nice. that's even better. Where all, all these years later, where are you having success finding customers? How are you finding sort of new growth channels? So the, the really nice thing for us now is that um, I, I guess we've been – omni-channel from the start so uh, there's a lot of trends where people say no it's all about direct to consumer and stuff the retailers or there's other brands saying the other way and for us we've just always wanted to be where the customer wants us and so from the very first approach we were trying to develop different channels so that there was just less friction for a customer they could find us where they wanted us so now we're in maybe 1,400 premium retailers around the world. That goes from Patagonia stores to um, beautiful retailers like Divine Corp for um, United Arrows in Japan or 
these really, you know, Nordstrom, great retailers around the world. Um, we find that's a good part of our business. We then sell on marketplaces like Tmall in China or Rakuten or um, even Amazon platforms and all of that. We control that business ourselves um, so that it's always um, presented properly. It's at good prices. It, it doesn't suffer that discounting model that so many other brands are slave to. And then we still have a huge amount through our own website. Um, and that, you know, we, we seek out customers through multiple channels, social advertising, Google platforms, all sorts of places. And then we try and bring them in and give them a, a really beautiful digital experience through bellroy.com. And how, how big is your team uh, in people now? Uh, we still try and keep it as tight as we can. We're probably up to oh, maybe 75 staff or so in Australia. Um, we then have a team in the Philippines. Um, we outsource our 3PL. We outsource many functions of the business to try and keep the team smaller. Um, and then once we add up, we have very close relationships with our suppliers. So we think once we add them in, there's probably five or 600 people working full-time on Bellroy. Wow. But um, the actual staff in Australia is probably only 75 or so. Is Australia your biggest uh, market? No, not at all. Um, we are such a global brand. So Australia's down the list. Um, the US is our largest business, but we, I think in every month, we're probably selling in over 120 countries. We have retailers in, oh, it's probably about 60 countries now. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a real global footprint and pretty much if you look at GDP around the world, that's pretty much where our sales happen. Where, where do you see the, the brand going in the next five or 10 years? Is this, is this something you want to build forever and pass on sort of uh, over generations or is this something that you want some sort of financial outcome for? or a brand outcome for, or a partnership with a bigger brand that makes a lot of sense. What do you think, what do you, that was five different questions, but what do you think Bellroy, what, what, where do you see Bellroy in five years? Yeah, uh, I, I love Bellroy. I, I've, um, I, I, I do think it's important to pursue comparative advantage and to build genuine expertise. And what I see happening with our team right now is just, it's, glorious to be around um the team we've got a very stable team of just phenomenal people i love working with them um lena and matt love working with them it's 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 a really interesting space and i feel like our improvement trajectory just keeps accelerating like the insights we now have the understanding of the carry market both from carryology and bellroy um the, the gaps we see there are just gaping. Um, there's so much we still want to do. So I, I'm hoping in five years where this team has continued to just gel and knit even tighter, I, I think we'll be making really spectacular product in more areas of carry where there's more synergy between your carry. Um, we talk about carry quivers a lot, which is the way your 
backpack works with your workfolio, which works with the phone case that takes a few extra cards in your pocket. And um, the way we're able to start filling in more complete solutions for people as we've had the scale to bring in some new categories just means I, I think there's still such enormous opportunity for us in the world. Um, I, I hope we're still doing something like this. I hope we've been able to um, delight even more customers. I, th- I think we've sold over 2 million products already. Um, wow. Which is, for me, just a sign of how many people are finding resonance with what we're doing. But I, I think it's not the scale that motivates us as much as just building really great experiences for customers and then having the the learning and development that all our crew go through able to start spreading out in the world. Um, we work a lot with nonprofits. We work a lot with some incredible communities working directly on the world's stickiest problems. And I think just as Bellroy's grown, we've been able to put more and more um, leverage behind some of those you know, really good individuals in the world doing really special projects. And I think our staff are also becoming just more and more impactful individuals. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping we're doing things like now only better and more and um, with more resonance and more delight. What is some advice you wish someone had given you uh, nine or ten years ago when you were starting the business? Uh, uh, You're probably asked that all the time. Well, no, um, actually, we seek out advice all the time. So I I think um, one of the things we talk a lot about in Bellroy is um, expertise and humility and the ways of, um, as Charlie Munger says, like, you can learn from other people's mistakes. And so we've always sought advice. We've we've got, you know, a really interesting group of friends that don't just agree with you. They poke at you and they they find things you're doing that don't make sense to them and they, they tell you, hey, this confuses me. Why are you doing this? Um, and so we get advice all the time and a lot of that guided us from day one. But I, I guess... Some of the things I've really learnt over the last few years that might have helped us more at that initial journey is um, probably the more you love it, the harder you can work on it. Um, And pursuing the areas where you can develop deep passion. And I don't think passion is something you're born with. I think it's something you develop as you get better at spaces and your work resonates and makes a difference. And I think um, really from the earliest days, we tried to build a few businesses and unsurprisingly, (laughs) we've got an airplane flying over. Yeah, the um, airplanes are flying low over here. Sorry about that. Yeah. Oh, no problems. yeah, unsurprisingly, the areas that we already had the seeds of passion in are the ones where we could just dive in and, and make the biggest difference because we give it the most attention. We we build it into our lives and, and weave ourselves into the brand. Um, and so pursuing the areas that you can really get passionate about was something that it took me a few years to realize that's where the successes were coming from. 
Okay, three more questions, and they are fun ones, uh, or more fun. The whole thing is fun. What uh, <laughs> if you weren't building Bellroy? What would you be doing? Whoa. Um, I think we still do a lot of work in the nonprofit space, and there's some really interesting things happening around the areas of effective altruism and really working on kind of the most good you can do and i think we we spend a bit of our time on those projects but i think if bellroy wasn't there I'd, I'd probably be ramping up that work and doing more in that space um great answer yeah. what's something on your bucket list that you haven't done yet personal bucket list <laughs> um Oh, I think the way I frame goals is different to many. It's it's less about the destination and it's more about the journey. And so I think for me, one of the things I've absolutely loved is as Bellroy's influence has grown in the world, it's helped expose us to another circle of people that have powerful models of the world and how the world works and how to make change in the world. And I think I'm still excited about every year I get to meet um, a, a, a different style of person and group that is is pushing in really interesting areas with really interesting models of how to make change. And so I think I'm excited about continuing that and, and getting getting to meet more of those phenomenal groups and individuals. If you could choose anyone in the world to represent Bellroy, who would it be? Ah, um, oh, gosh. We are uh, one of the funny things about Bellroy, we haven't pursued the typical influencer path. And so Bellroy's actually already in the pockets of some phenomenal humans, from founders of incredible companies to so many world class athletes. So I think we're actually already in the pockets and on the backs of some of my favorite humans on the planet. Um, but because there's not official relationships, we don't talk about them. <laughs> uh, but, wouldn't, <laughs> w- but wouldn't you want them in your, in an advertisement for, for your brand? I think what we've, we've wanted to shape the brand in a different way. We, we've, I, I think there's a lot of problems with, the aspirational cell and, you know, if Kim Kardashian's using it, it must be great. Um, I I think there's a lot of problems with those approaches. And I think one of the things we try and do with Bellroy is empower everyone to be a better version of themselves or, or to move through the world with more ease. And so we've almost wanted to avoid aligning it with just certain individuals so that everyone can imagine them sells as the face of Bellroy, but let me work something out. How about um, maybe the Dalai Lama? (laughs) Oh, wow. First Dalai Lama uh, reference on the podcast. (laughs) Or or maybe even, um, uh, let me say Bill Gates. I'm watching Inside Bill's Brain recently. Um, you know, he's such a hero. He's, he's done so many amazing things. He he was carrying a tote bag around him that I think is an L.L. Bean tote bag, and it was just filled with incredible books that he carries everywhere. And I think perhaps if I could, if I could upgrade him, 
if I could upgrade him to a bag that was a little easier to carry and a little smoother to transition all those books around the world, that might be an incredible win. That's a great one. Well, Andy, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, really good fun. Thanks for running a great podcast where you, you talk to interesting folk and try and share some of those stories. It's really good. Oh, thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, please rate and review. Um, yeah, in the meantime, enjoy your week and uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks. Thanks.